Kevin and I are going to tag team, so I'll start us off. So, um, good morning, Kairos. It is so good to be back. It's been four long and full years, uh, thanks to the pandemic, since we've been in your sweet presence, and uh, we are just really, really grateful to be here. We arrived a week ago, Friday, Saturday night, and um, since we've been here, you guys have really um, just, yeah, blown our socks off with your love and your kindness and your generosity, and uh, we are so grateful for you um, and uh, the way that you love us. Um, I've heard so many people say, oh, the Y-Gilts are coming, and it's, it's so precious to feel known when our job is to not be here. <laughs> so thank you. I wanted to just start off by saying that. I brought Kleenex because I'm not convinced I'll get through this without crying, but I'm going to try. So... So even though most of you know us, I'm going to assume that some of you don't, so I'm going to introduce us a little bit. Um, you want to do, this is us, we're also there, but in case you want to see us looking a little more spit and polished, that's us there. Um, Kevin and I have been married almost 23 years, and uh, our kids, Casey and Ethan, will be 18 and 16 in July. Kev's from Edmonton, Alberta, oh, so we're Canadians. Kev's from Edmonton, Alberta, which is above Montana, and I'm from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is above North Dakota. Uh, we've lived in Romania for about 14 and a half years. We moved when the kids were one and three. And uh, our fun Weigelt fact for you is when we land back in Romania in July, at the end of our time here, Casey will have been on 111 airplane rides and Ethan 90. So we've, we've traveled a little bit. Um, and it's great. Um, many of you have had these before. This is the limited edition 2023 Weigelt fridge magnet. There have been limited editions every few years since the beginning. So uh, come and get yours in the back. Put us on your fridge. And then when you snack, you can remember to pray for us too. Um, and yeah, well, so we'll start the next slide. We are sent out by All Nations, and All Nations trains and supports over 400 workers in 44 countries globally, so we're very proud to be a part of them. And they inspire to see disciple-making movements in every people group of the world so that Jesus may be worshipped by every tongue, tribe, and nation. So to start us all off, we're going to do some fun stuff. You thought you'd get to sit back and relax, but that is not what's happening. We're going to do a quiz and I have chocolate from Romania. The winner gets to choose between dark chocolate and milk chocolate. So get on up. I, I mean it. Stand up, everybody, and except the Weigelts. Kevin, sit down. Um, because, yeah, so it, unless, like, unless you, yeah, if you've got a baby, mama, you can sit down and rest. You're on your feet all day. You know. But so we're going to do a quiz. Um, so have the answer in your head. Don't say it out loud. You don't want to give it away to your neighbors. And no cheating. Jesus knows. If you get it wrong, you sit down. Okay? It's not worth the chocolate to lie. So let's start off. Question number one. We're going to high school geography, folks. Which con continent is Romania on? A, B, C, D, E, F, or G? I will give you a hint. It's not G. Everybody got their answer? Okay. C, we are in Europe. All right. Question number two, which country is Romania? A, B, C, D, or E? This is where it gets tricky. Okay. We are in D. 
Fun fact is that Kevin has spent some time in E, which is Belarus, training, uh, training people there. And then next, we'll go next to a map of Romania. And we are in the middle, um, in Brasov, you probably can't see it, but we're smack in the middle in Transylvania, like 30 minutes from the castle, Dracula's castle, the person that inspired Dracula. So that's a fun, another one, fun Weigelt fact. Next slide. Romania borders. A, Ukraine, B, Hungary, C, Serbia, D, Bulgaria, E, Moldova, or F, all of the above. Yeah, don't say it aloud. Okay, here we go. Yeah, you were right, whoever said that, all of the above. Okay, now I'm going to test your short-term memory. Uh, um, all right, next slide. The name of our sending agency is All Peoples, All Nations, Christ for the Nations, Nations for Jesus, or Jesus Freaks. I'll give you another hint. It is not E. Okay, you ready? Okay, it is B, All Nations. We love our All Nations. Okay, now we're going to, this is where the submarine ride goes a little down. Get ready, folks. Next slide. Romania is home to Europe's A, largest rock sculpture, B, second largest underground glacier, C, third narrowest street, D, tallest wooden church, E, all of the above, F, A, B, or D, G, B, C, or D. We're not, yeah. Take your time. Make a guess. Okay. Here we go. E, all of the above. Whoa. Let's see. All right. Okay. Question six. Romania has, according to some, the world's most A, beautiful fountain, B, beautiful bookshop, C, beautiful road, D, beautiful waterfall, E, all of the above, F, B, C, D, or G, A, B, C. All right. Answer. F, B, C, and D. We have the bookshop. We have the, the road, and we have the waterfall. Anne, are you it? Oh, this is so fun. Yay. So cool fact, my friend Anne visited us with her daughter Emma in Romania. They did a summer camp with us nine, ten years ago. And the last time she came to visit us while we were speaking, she won. So here, this is a tradition. Come and pick milk. Milk. Okay. Yay, Anne. Congratulations. Okay. So, um, before I call my sweet hubby up, I want to talk a little bit about our involvement with Ukraine um, and the refugees that resulted from Russia's um, invasion over a year ago. Um, sharing... Sharing a border with Ukraine allowed us the privilege of helping the refugees who came to Romania, as well as those who actually remained in, in uh, Ukraine. So here's some photos. The next slide. Uh, this is some of the stuff we had the privilege of doing. There were lots of donations that came in, so thank you for that so much. Um, we had the privilege of sh shopping for sorting donations and sending packages of clothes, blankets, diapers, formula, uh, medical supplies into Ukraine. Uh, we were able to help local friends who hosted uh, refugees with food and medical bills, like there are you know, church camps and places with lots of rooms where the refugees had private places to just come and grieve and be together. 
Um, we gave rides to and from work to refugees. And then most recently, we've been helping with groceries, clothes, car repairs, and travel costs, and then generators for friends we met in Brashov who then went back into Ukraine. Uh, the refugees we've worked with have been so courageous and precious. Um, and I want to tell you a story about uh, a refugee that I met. Her name is Svetlana, and uh, her story is very typical of the Ukrainian experience. Um, I saw an ad for her and her sister um, in a Facebook group about helping Ukraine, and they're cosmeticians. And uh, to support her, Casey and I went and got our eyebrows done. And while we were there, we were chatting and talking and, um, and you know, crying together. And I asked her, um, well, she actually, she wrote a letter to all of you. So, um, oh, next slide, sorry. Yeah, there's us doing, doing the things. Yes. Uh, our actually neighbors from our building helped, and then, um, yeah, so cl just collecting, collecting things that we could send, that we had, we had the privilege of, of doing that. So she wrote you all a letter, and I want to read it to you. I'm going to try and do it um, without crying. Hello, my name is Svetlana. I want to tell you my story. Before the war, me, my husband, and my son were living wonderful life and very happy. But the war came to my lovely country. I took a hard decision to leave my country with my son and our cat. I was very scared because I didn't know where to go. How could I live in another country without money and friends who can help me there? At the border, I asked God to help me and support my trip, and I met so many people who helped me with food, with clothes for my son. Some people from Brashov invited us to their house, and we lived there until we found our own apartment. A week after I came to Brashov, I started working so that I could help my family and others still in Ukraine. After some days, God gave me a present and sent to me Angie. I remember our first meeting. We were talking a lot about the situation in Ukraine. We were crying together. She is so amazing person. I'm so thankful for her. She told me that she wants to help me, but I was too shy to ask for help. I never thought that I would be in such a situation when people help me. I was trying to do it all by myself. I love helping people, but I never asked for help before the war and try to solve my own problems. Next slide. Uh, when I decided to visit my family in Ukraine, my tire broke and I didn't have money to buy a new one. Something amazing happened. Angie called me and told me that she wants to help me. She bought me a new tire and gave me money for my trip. I thank God for her help. I am grateful to God for you and for all those who helped and support us during this difficult time. When my city is bombed and I hear the sound of rockets flying over my house, it's very scary. Many cities are without electricity. I'm very grateful to you for a generator that warms us and helps us to cook food, for gifts for my son, for clothes, for car repairs, and for all support. I will remember you all my life and tell my children about this miracle that God sent me. God bless you. Thank you from all my heart. You are amazing people. So that's not just to me and my family who were there. That is to you because you keep us there by supporting us and praying for us. So I want to ask you to own that letter as um, her gift to you um, because it is. It is. She wrote it for you. I told her I was coming back and she said, um, I said, do you want to write a note to, to some of the people, you know, because I said to her many times, North America's hearts are breaking 
the world's hearts are breaking for what's happening to you and we want to help. This isn't, ju this isn't my money, this is everybody loving you. So that's for you. Um, the opportunities to help the refugees from Ukraine, um, it's been significantly reduced um, as they found work either in Romania or in other parts of Europe and, or they've returned to safer parts of Ukraine. Uh, but we, um, we as a family have been really humbled and grateful and honored to have been a part of helping these dear ones who have lost so much to war. So I'm gonna call up the hubby, Kevin. Sorry, my husband. Yeah, it's good to be uh, with you guys. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be in Kansas City again uh, with you. Um, we moved to Brushville, Romania with uh, the vision of catalyzing a church planning movement. This was always uh, our plan from the very beginning. And this is not just what we or our missions agency, All Nations, wants. This is actually what God is doing right now in the earth. Um, and we are just seeing what God is doing and partnering with him. Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father doing, and this is what we want to do as well. So what is a church planning movement? A church planning movement is, a, or disciple-making movement, sometimes is referred to, is a supernatural move of God's Spirit sweeping through a people group or a geographic area. Disciples, leaders, and simple churches uh, multiply rapidly and exponentially unto at least four generations. Uh, these movements use simple methods to equip, empower, release new believers to love Jesus and obey his commands. And there have always been movements throughout history. Uh, we know of what we, what's recorded in the book of Acts, the Celtic movement led by St. Patrick, uh, the Moravian movement, Wesley movement, the Welsh revival, and so many others. But many of those were, were uh, localized and only for a short period of time. But uh, missions researchers began reporting a recent phenomenon of a wave of movements that were taking place as early as 1994, and with only a handful of worldwide at the time. Uh, next slide. And so as of, um, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are living in the the season, a time of the greatest revival in human history. God is moving across the earth in unprecedented ways. And so many times when we share that with the people now uh, as we're on furlough, um, people are often overwhelmed by the effects of the pandemic. Uh, churches are, are, are decreasing, uh, people are falling away. And, uh, and we can be so focused on the, the one tree, the diseased tree, that we miss what God is doing with this alive forest globally. So what I want to do is I want to look at, uh, kind of zoom out and look at a global view of what God is doing, and then talk a little bit about what God is doing uh, through our emerging movement in Romania and some of the principles that we are, uh, are learning in, in the midst of that. So uh, like I said, you know, missions researchers in 1994, uh, next slide, uh, were discovered this, this phenomenon of movements that were taking place. And as of December 2022, researchers are saying that there are as many as 1,966 movements uh, around the world. Uh, next. 
And this would represent, uh, include 115 million new disciples in movements in the last 30 years, three decades. Uh, and next, next uh, point there. Uh, so if you think of the global context of the population globally, about 8 billion people are they're saying now, uh, new disciples in the last 35 years that have come to, to Christ through movements would represent about 1% of the world's population. It's unprecedented what God is doing uh, these days. And next. So these new disciples, they gather together in approximately 9 million churches. And the average size of these churches would be about 13 people. Next. Um, and so the, the next uh, slide I want to show you is a graphical representation of what's taking place globally. So if you look at the, the pink, uh, as the, those, uh, the pink would represent engagements, missional engagements, that there's a team on the ground using reproductive strategies to multiply disciples and start churches, but they haven't seen breakthrough yet. The green would represent those places where they're seeing uh, uh, breakthroughs, but they haven't achieved kind of breakthrough to uh, fourth generation yet. So those are emerging movements. That would be what we're experiencing in Romania. And then there's the black ones that would represent mature movements that have gone past four generations of disciples, leaders, and churches. And they're spawning off new works in other locations as well. And, uh, and that's what, what uh, is, is we're so excited about. Um, it's interesting to note that movements are, are occurring in Europe and North America as well. There's black in those locations, which is contrary to the common narrative that this doesn't happen in the West. Uh, it is happening in the West, and, uh, and we're a testament of, of that as well. Uh, next slide. So this hockey stick-like graph shows the exponential increase in movements over the past three decades. Next slide. And so this is another uh, example of, of that same slide. I can uh, go to the next one. Um, so this graph shows how disciples are multiplying by a factor of 10, every 10 to 15 years, which uh, if you think about, um, so 1,000 becomes 10,000, 10 years, and then 10,000 becomes 100,000, 100,000 becomes uh, a million. And uh, this is what's happening every decade, which is phenomenal. Uh, it took centuries for us to get to the place where we're at, and God is accelerating that in the context of movements. Uh, next slide. Over the past 35 years, movements have an average annual growth of 23%. And at that same period of time, the world population has only grown by 1%. And traditional Christianity has grown by one, so globally. So 1% versus 23% in just a few decades. Next slide. The World Christian Database is a, a statistical think tank that kind of assesses where the world is and, and kind of how things are, are operating. And they estimate by 2050 that the uh, Christianity will, will achieve uh, three and a half billion people that are not associated with movements. But if movements continue to grow by uh, 20%, which is conservative because uh, of, of the ex exponential um, growth that's uh, achieved, even in spite of the difficulties through the pandemic and persecution and wars and all these different things that, have, that are 
um, are hindrances, but they're, they're succeeding through that anyways. So of 20% in 2043, we will achieve um, three and a half billion disciples that have come through Christ, to Christ through movements. And we're only a decade away, uh, which is basically Christianity doubling in our lifetime, which is phenomenal. Um, as, we, uh, as we pursue the movement, a movement of rapidly multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches across Europe, we continue to affirm uh, some biblical principles that are universal and timeless and span culture. And so I want to talk about, about that a little bit. Next slide. So um, in uh, Luke 10, 2, and again in Matthew 9, 38, Jesus tells us that the harvest is ripe. Uh, after our first seven years of ministry in Romania, we saw little fruit. We had started a house church in our home. We had made some disciples. Uh, our disciples liked spending time with us, but oftentimes we discovered they tolerated Jesus to spend time with us. And I began to believe that the harvest was not ripe in Romania. I thought maybe just Romania is the problem. And, uh, and then I rediscovered the principle of ripe fruit our good soil from Mark 4, 1 to 20. We discovered that we cannot wait for people to ripen, but we need to uh, in, invest in those that are ready to obey Jesus right now. Uh, instead, we need to search for those people that are ripe. And, um, and, and if we don't invest in those ripe people, that Jesus said there is a harvest that is ripe, then that ripe fruit will around us will spoil, fall to the ground and die. So, um, so how do we know if somebody is ripe? It's a great question, right? Uh, next slide. The quality of fruit, Jesus says, is measured through loving obedience to him, not potential. You can see somebody is like, if that guy was a new believer, he would, he would be so dynamic and lead so many to Christ. And we can't invest, can't wait until they're ready. We have to invest in those that are ready right now. Uh, we all have limited time, resources, and energy. We can't help everyone. So we need to be selective about who we invest in. So how did Jesus discern who to invest in so that he could disciple them? Next slide. He used filters. You see this time and time again. He, to assess those that merited his greatest investment. He would use parables. He would use lordship and obedience statements. He would say, um, you know, if you don't drink my blood... And eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. People say, this is a hard saying. You must be speaking in, in parables or figurative speeches. Like, no, this is actual real. You have to do this. And people left. Uh, he wouldn't do miracles. And, and there was, there was an intentional process for Jesus to, to assess ripeness. And then he asked his disciples, so are you going to leave too? He said, no, we're not going anywhere. You are the one that has the words of life. We're not going anywhere. We don't understand what, what you're asking us, but we're ready and willing to, uh, to discover that. We're ready to, and willing to do anything. Uh, hard sayings. This is another aspect. Uh, so experience has proven that disciples may fluctuate in ripeness as well. They may start well, change their mind, and experience hardship or success, and then eventually return later. So the filtering process is constant. It's not just at the beginning of the process, but we're constantly saying, will you obey Jesus in baptism? Yes. Will you obey him in loving him and loving your enemies? 
Yes. Okay, will you um, give financially, generously to your own heart? No, I won't do that. Okay, well, that's, that's uh, something that Jesus commands us to do. And you have to continually uh, invite people to obey him. Uh, next slide. So Jesus commands us in Matthew 28, 18 to go and make disciples, to teach them to obey all that he has commanded us. So uh, the next question is, what are the commands of Christ? So a mentor of mine, next slide, uh, George Patterson has helped catalyze church planting movements all over the world. Uh, a couple years ago, he passed on to be with the Lord. But he identified seven general commands of Jesus, which are the foundation of all of our discipleship, our leadership development, and our, um, our assessment of church health. And so I want to learn those together. With, uh, with our disciples, we come up with some, some actions that we use to help people to remember. So uh, just like uh, uh, in, in our Romanian churches, everybody participates. Nobody is a spectator. So we're going to do this together as, as well today. So I, I invite you to stand up. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to go through these. I'm going to do the actions and model them for you. And then you can uh, do them afterwards with me. Okay, so I'm going to drop this mic. So I need both my hands. can have a seat. Um, so last fall, I'll give you an example. Uh, next slide. Uh, I visited Mats Gada, I've uh, Finnish national who I've been coaching and training over the last year. Mats lives in Narpes, Finland, a small city with a high concentration of immigrants who work in the large factories and greenhouses located there. Uh, Mats has many, has many opportunities to meet with immigrants and local Vietnamese families to share the gospel, and he's been praying to meet a Vietnamese person to help him overcome some of the language barriers. And so before Mats and I and, and some of the people from his house church went out to prayer walk, I reminded them that we are partnering with what God is already at work doing. And so we're looking for where he's working. We're not trying to initiate something and then ask God to bless that, but we're asking God, what are you doing and how can we partner with you? And so, uh, and we need to always test for ripeness. So by inviting people to, inv to immediate obedience to Jesus' commands, this is the test that we're using. So Dean was the first person that we met that day. And it's a picture of, uh, of us uh, on, on the prayer walk. He told us that he was already a Christian. And Matt's told him that Dean was an answer to his prayers to meet a Vietnamese believer who spoke English well. Uh, Dean said that moments before we met, he had had a sudden compulsion to get up and go for a walk. And instead of going uh, the normal direction, he, he needed to go to the opposite direction, and that's where we met um, and on that day. 
God was bringing us together for a specific purpose. We asked him if he would host us in his home so that we could pray and discuss the Bible together. And he said yes and invited us for tea. So we shared the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 to 20 to go and make disciples. Uh, and Matt uh, invited him to join him in that mission. And Dean accepted his invitation and they partnered together for, for several months. Um, until uh, Dean decided that it was, wasn't for him and uh, no longer wanted to be involved. And that's, like I said, there's a constant process of investing in people that are ready and interested. And then we um, allow people to move on and, and, uh, and we bless them on the way out. And maybe we come back around and circle back around and invite them in again. But we, uh, we don't force people to do anything they don't want to do, right? Uh, next slide. So a person of peace, as we pursue the multiplication of disciples, leaders, and churches, it's critical that we find the God-prepared person and then train them to reach their, their family, friends, neighbors. Uh, you guys use the, the language at, you're in your at, uh, with the good news. So we see Jesus do this with his, his disciples. Jesus sends out his disciples, first the 12 in Matthew 10 and Luke 8, and then the 72 in Luke 10. Uh, he encourages them to look for a person of peace or a house of peace. Stay there, receive their hospitality for a short period of time, and then move on. Um, after training and empowering that person or family to continue the gospel work. So in Romania, we use uh, basically three, um, three distinctives to describe what a person of peace is. So a person of peace is somebody that receives the gospel gladly and commits to loving Jesus and obeying his, his commands. And that would be amazing. But we're not just asking people to respond to Jesus. We're asking them to, to accept Jesus' uh, command to be a disciple-making disciple. So we invite them. The second would, would be to exercise hospitality by opening their home to host a Bible study or a house church. And to hear and read gospel stories to practice them with us or their trainers, and then to share those stories with their at or their, uh, their oikos, uh, their household and friends and neighbors and those kind of things. So uh, next slide. So a, a great example of this is, um, uh, is Robert. Uh, my local uh, Romanian coworker was sitting on the bus one day, and he, as he sat there, he began to sense that the Holy Spirit was working on somebody on the bus. So he got up and he shared the gospel boldly and confidently, clearly, inviting people to, to respond to Jesus in repentance and faith in him. And uh, my friend got off at his stop, unaware of what God was doing. But Robert was on the bus that day. And although Robert did not see who shared the gospel because he is legally blind, he was deeply moved by the invitation that was given that day. And we found out later that Robert had had a dream uh, several days earlier, where Jesus appeared to him and confronted him on his sin and invited him to repent and turn to him. Uh, so days later, after that bus interaction, uh, Robert heard my coworker sharing the gospel with somebody else in that same neighborhood. And so he went up to him immediately and said, you need to come to my house. You are the guy from the bus, and you need to tell me and my family how we can respond to Jesus. So uh, we went together, uh, my coworker and I, and invited Robert to be a disciple of Jesus, to love Jesus, to obey his commands, and to make other disciples. And he was eager to do so. So as Robert faithfully shared the Jesus stories that he was learning, 
with his, his family and friends and neighbors. And they responded in repentance and faith and baptism. They began gathering together in his home uh, as a church. And even though Robert is legally blind, God has raised him up to be the recognized leader in his spiritual family because of his perseverance and his fruitfulness. Uh, through donations, we have been able to provide him with an audio Bible where he listens to God's word daily, memorizes Jesus' stories so that he can tell others, and retells them um, to everyone around him. He's always got a new Jesus story that he's learning. And sometimes when uh, people come to visit him, he'll say, we're going to listen to a chapter of the Bible right now, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. And he presses play on the next chapter that he's, uh, he's got in the, in, in the, uh, from the Gospels. Um, and we, we use, a, a, here I'll just say this. Um, if you're interested, on the table in the back, there's a bookmark talking about the questions that we use for Discovery Bible Study. And so uh, it's a little bit different. Um, we're always trying to innovate and improve things. So if you're interested in that, you can go ahead and, and grab that in the back as well. Um, next, uh, next slide. We found that the greatest harvest consisting of the most ripe fruits and people of peace is among the poor. Our most fruitful Romanian disciples are those who are blind, crippled, homeless, and those who can't read or have an elementary level education. Uh, James 2.5 says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the, of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those that love him? For his glory, God has chosen to reveal his kingdom in the place where the world and all of his pride would least expect it, among the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and the despised. Uh, and uh, another thing, um, there's a prayer card in the back as well. If you're interested in knowing more about the Roma people, it's one of the most neglected, uh, marginalized people group in all of Europe. And these are the people that we uh, mostly work among. It has some information on the back and, and how you can pray and some prayer points as well. So I invite you to grab that as well. Um, next slide. Yeah, so one of the greatest changes, you know, from those early days where we felt like we were faithful because we were investing in people that weren't ripe, but uh, incredibly hardworking. We spent all of our time with those, those people that were lost and we saw them growing slowly. But one of the greatest changes in how we do ministry from those early days is that we are unashamedly pursuing multiplication. And it is not about how many sermons I preached or people I've led to Christ or um, healings or deliverances or baptisms I've done. It's, it's about how our measuring stick is how many generations of disciples, leaders, and churches are left in the wake of what we do. So when I say generations, I don't mean a child and their parents and their grandparents all coming to Christ. Uh, a person follows Jesus, leads someone else to Christ, and disciples them. And that disciple leads and disciples somebody else, and the chain continues on. So this is what we're asking uh, the Lord for, is generations of disciples, leaders, and churches. Uh, next slide. And we see this uh, in 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul talks about four generations of, of, uh, of ministry. So Paul teaches Timothy. Timothy shares with faithful people, and those faithful people train others also. And this is what we're asking for from the Lord. Um, next, uh, next slide. 
So um, our discipleship culture that we created in Romania centers around some two key elements in how we interact with God's word, which leads to multiplication. Next slide. Next one. We are constantly asking the questions, uh, uh, how do we obey and with whom will we share? So anytime that we are talking about a verse or there's something that we're learning, we're asking, what are we going to do and with who are we going to share? Always. Uh, it's constant. And in preparation for our upcoming furlough, I spent considerable time making sure that our Romanian disciples were prepared to continue the local work in my absence. So I met with Robert a few weeks before leaving with the purpose of reaffirming him in his identity in Christ as a priest. Um, we read through Exodus 19 and 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments. And uh, God commanded Moses to instruct the people of Israel about how they needed to prepare to meet with him because he wanted his people, quote, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is not just what what uh, we see happen in the New Testament, but this is God's original intent for his people from the very beginning. And we see this in Exodus. So let's read this together. We're going to read um, Exodus 20, 18 and 19. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. The people of Israel were terrified and demanded that Moses be their representative because they thought that they would die if they had direct interaction with him. Next slide. One more. So in verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Next. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So we see this this intention, Moses can, um, challenged that ideology that, that he was the representative for God's people. And he said, no, this is not God's intention. The fear of the Lord is to meant to, uh, to deliver you from sin, not to push you away. Um, so, uh, next slide. So, uh, later that day, after Robert and I studied through, um, through Exodus 19 and 20, Robert and I visited a friend of his, uh, Ramos, who has been struggling in his walk with Christ lately. And when I asked Robert, what passage of scripture should we discuss and have a Discovery Bible study around? He immediately said, Exodus 19 and 20. And like I said, if we learn something, we share it and we obey it. So this is what, uh, what uh, it was my joy to say, this is what we're going to do. So after Ramos read through the chapters, we asked him what God was saying to him. And Ramos emphasized that God helps us to overcome sin by the fear of the Lord, not fear of him. As we discussed the Bible passages, Ramos's teenage neighbor came in unannounced and joined us in prayer and Bible discovery. Ramos has had many gospel conversations with her in the past, and much of their disagreements is centered around uh, whether God requires sexual purity or not. And so she was shocked when she read the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. She was confronted with the, with the word of God in that moment. So there, there are three applications for, for the different needs that day from that same passage of scripture. So Robert was affirmed in his leadership as a priest to connect with God and to share him with others. Ramos was challenged to live in victory over sin by the fear of the Lord. 
And Remus's teenage neighbor learned that sexual promiscuity is a sin and against God's law. And she had an opportunity to respond to that and uh, confront her liberal uh, pastor that that was wrong and contrary to what the word says. Uh, next slide. So one of the, the major gaps that I found in the, in the missions world today is in coaching. And many organizations uh, that are in the missions world do amazing job at training and workshops and programs and classes and all this learning that takes place. But workers often struggle to implement those learnings because they don't know how to do it. They've tried to put stuff into, into practice and then they run into barriers and they quit and go back to what they uh, have, have, are familiar with because they don't know how. And so um, currently I coach uh, Mats Gada from Narpes, Finland. I talked about him earlier. Uh, next slide. And Stefan Kapota from Bucharest, Romania. Next slide. And uh, Joachim Wienstra from Groningen, Netherlands. And this is a picture on the left of him baptizing a new disciple just last month. So we meet weekly over Zoom towards fulfilling their vision of catalyzing a disciple-making movement. And they have all accelerated in fruitfulness as they have implemented these best practices that I've trained them in and just added that level of encouragement to not quit and to keep on pressing on until they, um, they receive their breakthrough. Uh, next slide. This is a, a testimony of Matt's um, experience of coaching. Just want to read that together with you. The coaching process has been so valuable to me. I have learned so much about the practices and processes which can lead to multiplication. I'm at the beginning of seeing a movement, but the ongoing encouragement and challenges I may I receive help um, keep me uh, to stay on track towards my vision of igniting a church planning movement. I would never have come this far without a coach. Next uh, slide. So because of the benefits that I've experienced in my own life in coaching and uh, the need that I see across Europe, I began uh, Europe Multiply Team in 2019. And Greta was a uh, part of that, a uh, member of this church. She was a ministrator for a few months and helped us get our, our website up and running. And it was a huge help. Uh, next slide. Um, so EMT is a decentralized relational network of trainers and coaches helping European leaders to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. And um, every, next, next uh, point. Uh, we meet every three weeks over Zoom to provide ministry updates, to receive training, and to pray for one another. Um, next uh, part. So we have now trainers, um, movement leaders that are representing Spain, Switzerland, Wales, Belarus, myself in Romania, and uh, an Australian guy who has a heart for Europe has joined on as well. And he's a part of a, a growing church planning movement in Australia. It's really exciting. Um, next uh, part there. So our website, europemultiplyteam.com, I uh, invite you to go and check it out and, and uh, go online and, and see our resources on there. Is it now available in English, Spanish, Romanian, Russian, and um, the German translation is in process as well. So we are continuing to grow our training resource library and to seek out new opportunities to train and coach local European kingdom leaders that are pursuing movement. And it's so exciting what God is doing. Uh, next slide there. So God has opened doors as uh, word has gotten out of what God is doing in Romania, many other um, 
kingdom practitioners have, have been asking for training and help to, so that they can receive breakthroughs in, in their, uh, their regions as well. So uh, he's opened doors to influence kingdom workers in other European nations. I traveled to Warsaw last April to train a network of 25 house churches associated with a Europe-wide network called DNA Movements. Um, it's a picture of, the top one is of a Ukrainian house church that I got to be a part of some baptisms uh, that, that week. That was really exciting. And then the bottom one is uh, where I trained the 85-plus house church members in our nine-step discovery Bible study process on a Sunday morning uh, gathering. Uh, next slide. Uh, during a training trip in October that I mentioned earlier with our my coachy Mats in Finland, I modeled Discover Bible Studies and Prayer Walking in Narapes, and uh, I trained uh, um, on multiplying disciples at gatherings of pastors and missional leaders at a nearby city in Vasa. And uh, I've been asked and uh, invited to be the keynote speaker in, um, in August at a Lutheran evangelism conference in Senajoki, Finland, which traditionally averages about 150 to 200 people. And uh, that, I'm really excited about that because they have been trying to do evangelism crusades in churches and for years uh, not having any unbelievers actually come to those meetings saying we need to do things differently. And then word got out that there was this crazy guy in Romania uh, making disciples and multiplying disciples and they're like, we need to have him come and help us. And we're uh, open to doing things completely different. So that's really exciting. Next slide. Uh, I led an Eastern European regional gathering of movement practitioners in Cherkovo, Bulgaria in January called the Balkan Region Movements Gathering. And workers came from Moldova, from Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, Greece, and North Macedonia. And every morning we gathered together to discuss barriers that we're experiencing and how we can overcome those uh, so that we can see movement in our locations. Um, next slide. I'm organizing another Balkan region gathering in Bosnia in October, and we're expecting over 30 uh, workers from Balkan nations who have generational reproduction in their respective ministries, those emerging movements, so that we can get to the next level and see those mature things taking place in Europe as well. Uh, our emerging uh, church planning movement in Romania and the opportunities to invest in movement uh, engagements across Europe uh, through training and coaching is really a testament to God's great kindness and uh, the faithful partnership of, of churches like you, and, and, and uh, we're so thankful for that. And so I want to ask Angie to come up, share about a new ministry opportunity that, um, and how you can partner with that. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. So... Um there's a new ministry opportunity that, um, that's on the horizon for us that I want to share with you a little bit about. Um, as missionaries, as international workers, we are really, really fortunate. Um, we are so well taken care of by all nations. They excel um, in training, they excel in coaching, and they excel in member care in a way that I, I say this hand to heart, honestly, I cannot think of another missionary that I've ever met who is better taken care of than we are. Um, and so we're, we're very, very grateful. So because so many workers are not um, as fortunate as us, they're sent out and they're not cared for, 
I want to change that. We have uh, missionary friends in Romania who've literally been on the field as long as we have. We're never debriefed one time. Um, it's so, anyway, don't even get me started. Um, so my heart is to open our home to international workers and provide a place uh, for them that's safe to rest. And, oh, let's go to the next. Sorry, I forgot. Um, uh, to provide them a place to rest, restore, debrief, grieve, process, and heal. Um, next slide. So we bring to this ministry a unique combination of both experience and training. We've been on the field for 14 and a half years, so we have the stories, and we've been there and, and done a lot of it. Um, we've raised and homeschooled two kids in Romania. We've lost two kids uh, to miscarriage in Romania. Um, well, we were on the field, and uh, I have a Master's of Marriage and Family Therapy in my back pocket that I haven't done. Well, I've done life with, but not, um, not much therapy with. Um, and so as a family, we've lived, lost, and healed on the field. So I'm, uh, I'm still in the dreaming phases of this ministry as my kids are getting ready to grow up, and, or they are very close to growing up and launching. I've been kind of going, okay, they're figuring out what they're going to do when they grow up. What am I going to be when they grow up? And so this has kind of been the Lord's stirring this in my heart, and I whispered this like out loud this idea for the first time about a year and a half ago and just trembling, but it's, so it's in the dreaming phases. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, we're, this is the right slide. So, um, yeah, when we return to Romania, I want to um, start getting some debriefing training and just preparing slowly over the next few years. I feel like the Lord's told me to finish well with my homeschooling journey, so I'm not, it's not, going to be happening, you know, in August when we get back, but it's, it's on, uh, it's coming. And then we have uh, some people in Romania or in Europe who do this well, and I want to do some apprenticing with them. Uh, we want to, of course, offer these services as low as possible in as far as cost is concerned. So this is just another way as you invest in us that you would be investing in those who, um, who have given their lives for the gospel and aren't, aren't being looked after, which I think is tragic. So we'll shift gears again. Um, we are super excited about what God is doing in Romania and across Europe. We're seeing the beginnings of a Romanian discipleship-making movement. Uh, we're equipping, um, sorry, I lost my spot. We're equipping um, disciple-making practitioners across Europe through training and coaching. And we're dreaming of creating this house of healing for people to come. And so we want to thank Kairos for the way that you guys fight for us, champion us, pray for us, um, support us, and just love on us. That is, um, yeah, we, we are deeply humbled and grateful to come back after four years of not having been here and be just remembered. You, it's, it's so evident that you have been with us this whole time, and, and we are, are so... We're really grateful. Thank you. Thank you. So most of you are already doing this, so it feels silly for me to even say it. But in case there are a few of you who aren't, we want to invite you to uh, partner with us in a few different ways. One is, yeah, thank you. Um, one is prayer. We know that God is a God who answers prayer. We send out our prayer requests, and then we go to sleep, and then you guys are waking up at that time in the morning. Things are different very often. God hears your prayers. He hears your voice. No prayers fall to the ground um, 
And yeah, we are a testament of that. We have so many stories. So there's two ways you can partner with us in prayer. We have uh, sign-up sheets in the back. One is our seasonal newsletter where we, uh, around every season, we'll give an update. And then the other one is our prayer shield. And that, and that is for people who are like really committed to praying with us um, and for us on a consistent basis. And so these come out kind of as needed. Sometimes it's every week. Sometimes it's once a month. It just depends on you know, what's happening and how, how fast and hard the sparks are flying, so to speak. Um, then the other area is financial support. So, um, it, it, yeah, the last few years pretty much globally have been hard on everyone. And again, we want to thank you for your support. We are grateful and we don't take it lightly at all. And this slide is incorrect, but I kept it that way on purpose because I wanted to share, um, I want you guys to Rejoice with us, and even though we've only been in North America a little over a month, God has been answering prayers. So um, the, mo the monthly support is correct. Um, we are 1,800 below, but we started out a couple hundred more than that. So God has already provided for that. Um, and then one-time gifts, because, because we've had so many um, expenses um, and our emergency fund was depleted, so we need 5,000 to replenish that. And then um, Romania has a weird healthcare system. Some things are private, some are public, and we have expenses upcoming for procedures that the kids and I need uh, that, that aren't covered. And so um, that's 5,300. And then um, most of you, you know, have seen our schedule, and so many of you have come up to us and said, when are you guys gonna rest? And I, so we're finally listening to you, and we have a Canadian, or uh, in Canada, in the Canadian Rockies, we have a cabin um, that's been reserved for three nights for us, um, and the cost is 450 but somebody recently covered that, so praise God, yay! Um, we're very, very thankful for that. And then, um, you know, iPhones are expensive. Apple products have about a 30% markup in Romania, so if anybody has an iPhone, we, we need two because we have two children. So um, we have an eight that someone donated. We need like a nine or newer. So if any of you all just got a new thing, a new phone, and you're on the 13 or the 14 or whatever number it is now, and you have an old one sitting in your drawer that you don't know what to do with, we are your people. We would love to buy it from you, or if you want to donate it, we would love to take that off your hands and help you declutter. So, so thank you, Kairos. We love you, and we're grateful for you, and um, I could stand up here for another hour and tell you how awesome you are, but I'm guessing you're all hungry, and it's time for lunch, so thank you.